while I was building the store, and I built it myself, uh, because I'd been in the construction business before, uh, I had a big sign in the window explaining my philosophy that I was going to look for these products and find people that could do things, and find people who made things at home. And the store was busy from the first, from the first moment I opened. You're listening to The Taste Podcast. I'm Editor-in-Chief Matt Rodbard, here with Senior Editor Anna Hiesel. Today on the show, we have Eli Zabar, an icon in the New York City specialty food scene, and world-renowned bread baker. We also have Deb Perlman answering a reader question. But Matt, who is Eli Zabar? Eli Zabar is of the Zabar's family, and many New Yorkers and visitors to New York know it as the Upper West Side Deli. Um, but Eli has opened his own store, uh, the Eli Zabar, especially food store on the Upper East Side. He opened it actually in 1973, and he's a pioneer in the industry. So what did you and Eli talk about? Eli and I talked about his, his family story and how he's a really a guiding light in the industry. And his son is in the business now too, right? Absolutely. Oliver joined us. He's a really cool dude himself. And they talked about opening this restaurant on the Lower East Side. And, and soon we'll, they'll be opening actually a bakery together. Um, it's a really cool family story. Here's Matt talking to Eli and Oliver. Eli Zabar, thank you for joining the Taste Podcast. Happy to be here. I'm excited to meet you. We we've hung out before. Uh, you made me. You showed me your bread. I mean, dude, your bread. Let's talk about your bread. When did you first start baking bread? Let's take take us back to that. I think I started somewhere in the in the early, late seventies, early eighties. Uh, very. I can't remember. I don't have a. It's not etched in any in any bread I I've made. Uh, I I think somewhere around 1980 or something like that. 79 or 80. And what 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 drew you to really mastering the craft of of, of like artisan artisanal bread making, which you really pioneered in a way in New York City? Well, I can tell you honestly, I haven't mastered anything. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't mastered mastered any part of this. And every day, the it's the damn thing is so elusive; it gets away from us. Uh, and it's only on those perfect perfect weather days when everything when you have the perfect. And I'm using that word storm. When you have the perfect storm, when everything comes together, when the flower all of a sudden decides it, it he, she wants to behave itself, and that the weather is right, and the oven, that, that I could say, my God, isn't that fabulous? But that's a very rare. Very it's rare. It's an elusive. It's completely elusive. The whole thing is elusive. And you can, and if your ego rises and falls with success, as mine does, you have to very, some very depressed days. Are you familiar with this movement? Um, Eater just wrote a big feature about the, the these tech these tech bros, basically dudes in tech in the world of tech, like Silicon Valley, who are like obsessing about sourdough. Are you familiar? No, no, I'm not. All right, I'm good. not. <laughs> I'm glad you. I'm glad you're not. I'm I'm generally uh, uh, above the fray and don't even understand what's going on in any part of the food world. What was your earliest memories of your parents' store? Take us back to that. I, the, uh, delightful, absolutely delightful. I I, uh, uh, I kind of grew up with the smells of 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 my of the pickles and the and the sawdust and 
Uh, my father's first store that I know of uh, uh, um, was on uh, Zabar's, as, as we know it, on 80th and Broadway. And uh, I was uh, like five years old and, and used to like to play. I used to like to hang out and play. And the, the butter, they were big, you know, they cut the butter to order in those days. The butter smelled great and the Swiss cheeses smelled great. And I, I loved going there. I, it was a real pleasure uh, for me. Did you make friends? Were there, were there like countermen who you would, oh, would say hi to? Very astute question. That that was really exactly what happened. I wonder if that. Uh, how did you kind of uh, figure that out? Yeah, there were always, you know, the boss's son, yep. and there were always people. You know, they they, they were they were mostly immigrant uh, from Russia or the Eastern Europe, and they they liked children. There were, there were always people, that, uh, not me, of course, but there were always people that liked children, and uh, and and they would like you know take me. You know, under, and uh, give, 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 give me and a taste yeah. of the salmon, and let me try. Let me try to cut the salmon. And, you know, I was a little boy. Let me give me a knife and and let me try to cut it properly. Yes, I have very wonderful early memories. That's great. And I, I've written about you as kind of like the punk rock baby brother of Stanley and Saul, and how a lot many of our listeners may not know is um, Zaybars on the Upper West Side, and then you kind of split from that organization and opened your own remarkable uh restaurant i'm sorry a uh, market and 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 started in 1973 is that right, right exactly i opened in july of 73 so this is coming up on my what uh, 55th anniversary 50, 56th anniversary okay of doing approximately the same thing uh uh, for 56 years, you know, sweeping the sidewalk and uh, and rearranging the breads, uh, uh, trying to face the shelves. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's the same thing. For, I mean, EAT was the opening in 1973, and this was uh, several years before Dean and DeLuca opened in, in Soho, which is many consider the first gourmet food store of New York, but that is not the case. You were there two years earlier. I would like to know, just take us back to 73. What were you selling in this store because this is 73. This is before balsamic. This is before Parmesan Reggiano. This is before fish sauce has become part of the lexicon. Yeah, well, uh, uh, I opened with the idea. I, ha- I, I always have a, a philosophy of what I'm doing. I mean, a, a theory of, of, of what I'm, what I, where my goal, what my goal is. And, and at that point, it was uh, there, there were all these people who could really could make things and do things well like like bread and uh, and uh, cakes and pastries and uh, salads and this and that and the other thing that that they that 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 generation was disappearing uh, and that uh, I uh, because their kids they, they were mostly immigrants and they were first gen- they were and, and but their first the first generation wanted to be they wanted them to be something else they wanted just like Doctors, my brother lawyers. yeah just like my brothers you know, food was so, not so, the future for right, a lot of these immigrants right right my brothers uh, you know my parents came from eastern europe and my Saul uh, was an engineer uh, uh, you know, went to. I was a Horace man. Went to college to be an engineer. Uh, Stanley went to Wharton, uh, uh, and then became a lawyer. And uh, uh, you know that, that that's what the, that's what they wanted for their for their children. It wasn't I, selling premium yeah, olive oil. Yeah, or it wasn't like baking bread or 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 doing things. So I, my idea, my first idea was I was going to uh, try to find all these people and. And while they were still 
alive, and, and, and that my soul would be made up of those things. So at the very, very beginning, and I also was in love with cheeses. I loved cheese uh, from my, my time spent in Europe and in France, and I imported some cheese, but, but pr- pretty much we didn't make anything. Okay, that was that was... I didn't make any. You were a curator of products mostly from Eastern Europe or Western Europe? Mostly Western, Western, Western Europe. Europe. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't think the world, my world went beyond uh, England and... Uh, and and uh, in France. Yeah. So what are some of the products that EAT uh, was selling in 1973? Well, I, I was buying pate from people. I was buying salads from people. I, was, uh, I imported some cheeses uh, through, a, through a company, a uh, cheese importer. But that, and I bought breads from lots of different people. From uh, I, I had a taxi that used to go around to the different bakeries in the morning, and oh. and pick up uh, bread. Uh, and but I didn't do it. That, I, basically, I was just trying to keep my head above water. Yeah. Um, and I had found special jams uh, in my in my trips abroad, and I, so I was importing a little some some special things. But. Uh, uh, so really that's early. It. I mean, this is this is before. Uh, uh, any kind of foodie movement. I mean, what were who are your early customers um, on the Upper East Side? Actually, the 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 uh, and I and and while I was building the store, and I built it myself uh, because I'd been in the construction business before, and uh, I really wanted to be a builder, but uh, out of college. But oh, I had a big sign in the window explaining my philosophy that I was going to look for these products and find people that could do things and find people who made things at home. And uh, the store was busy from the first from the first moment I opened. I mean, this was extremely gratifying. I mean, it was beginning of July, and uh, my first customers were people like in the neighborhood. They're just just people in the neighborhood. Um, the museum, the Metropolitan Museum, which which is the largest tourist attraction in the city of New York, or or used to be, um, uh, was not what it is. It, that that didn't. It was a sleepy old museum at yeah. that point. It was, like, and the Upper East Side was oh, yeah. a sleepy old neighborhood. Exactly, but right. but full of butchers and bakers and candlestick. Yeah. Ma- no, <laughs> butchers. We that, had electricity. Like, yeah, then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we had electricity, but yeah. but there were there was uh, it was uh-huh. uh, shoe shoe repairs, and the guy next to me was an old fashioned kind of deli, and mm-hmm. had no idea what I was up to. Did you have a lot of um, private? Cooks, private chefs for uh, for uh, some of these residents on the Upper East Side cook uh, shopping for their for their clients. No, we did wasn't not. the case. Okay, it was not the case at all. In fact, we had some very interesting customers, uh, some very waspy, very very waspy, you know, uh, owner of the King Ranch in 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 Texas who lived over on Fifth Avenue, and uh, uh, you know. Uh, uh, I can't even remember all their names. They lived over on Fifth Avenue and, and uh, um, you know, came from all kinds of, like, Texas. And uh, they had, their ancestors had railroad cars. And for some reason, they were interested in food. They, 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 they were really my, my, some of my biggest customers. They, I remember one, one old dame had a place up in Bar Harbor, Maine, and, and she would tell me about her foraging for chanterelles and what she, how she cooked them. And, uh, but anyway, so yeah. that, that, uh, that my earliest customers yeah. were those people. And then it would evolve into what we have today, Eli Zabar, which um, if you walk in, I mean, it is it is a premium food store. I mean, it is truly some of the well, greatest foods. Well, thank you, Matt. And, and that, 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 that's an evolution. That was an evolution of, like, my becoming 
you know, my realizing that my my uh, that was a fantasy that the, these bakers and people still existed, and and that you could buy things from people making them at home, and they were good, and that I really had to I really had to figure this out myself, and uh, so that was. I want to know how that was the you, epiphany. Yeah. yeah, how do you keep each department so focused? Like, how do you keep your cheese counter? How do you keep your bread making? How do you make your uh, your spice? I mean, you have incredible spices. Do you have, like, <laughs> managers in each department buying? I do, and they all share in the philosophy. They, they, they all, they all to, to some extent, have drunk the Kool-Aid. And, <laughs> and, and, they, they all, and they're all proud of what they do. Okay, they're they're extremely. They realize that they're part of something that's well beyond business and well beyond me. Even though, you know, the the, the head of the produce department, you know, came from a Sicilian family that farmed. They, they, you know, they were not Sicilian. He comes from, uh, uh, but southern southern Italy. But I mean, he had. He, they were farmers. They have they have this in their blood. Uh, uh, does he really understand my price structure? Not every day, but. Uh, but he understands what I'm looking for. He understands we've got to go to the farmer. We've got to get, we've got, and we've got to, you know, have the most delicious. And uh, and I think the the yes, so those uh, yes, so they're into it. They they are really into it. And they're longtime employees. They've been working uh, most, for a while. Most of them. My, though my cheese, uh, the guy who's running the cheese department, who's doing. I've always had somehow people who run cheese departments have always been extremely quirky. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> quirky is like, uh, but we had somebody for a very long time. He's passed away now. Mm. His name was Greg Solomon, and he worked everywhere. But he was a nutcase. I mean, <laughs> just just a complete nutcase. And everybody that was any good that followed him was a nutcase. But this guy now is great. This this James, he he appreciates. His wife works at Astor Liquors, and uh, they're he, in the industry together. Yeah, that, he he. I see every night. He, he because if you work for me, you get a really big discount. Uh, and, Not bad. And, and we try to bring it down to the court, to what our real cost is, so people can buy it cost. Oh, that's great. Uh, and uh, and I see every night he he goes home and cooks and takes home quite a lot of shopping. How bag. do you know? Do you follow him on Instagram? No, Instagram. What is that? <laughs> oh, you got to get on the <laughs> IG. Eli Zabar, uh, I think it was, well, that's Oliver. Hey, that, uh, you know my son Oliver just opened Devon, which is he named after my yeah. No, we'll talk to Oliver. I can't brother. wait. But he, you know, he he's the generation that's going to follow. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's up to him, and uh, and he he has he's he's seen my work from the time he was born. So uh, yeah. and he's been part of it. So. I'd like to know. I know you've spent so much time in France and traveling the world, but is there a food or or a, a concept in cooking that you want to learn more about that you're really like interested in right now and exploring? Oh dear, go to another question. Try another question. Did I stump you? It's a little. Yeah, I mean, little... yeah, I mean, you know, uh, uh, I, I'm so I'm self taught. Uh, so and learning and you know and, and learning uh, has always been extremely difficult for me. Uh, mm-hmm. I've had to teach myself. Mm-hmm. So, but getting back to the question, yeah, I want to understand more about the flower. I want to understand, uh, you know, I want to understand what I don't understand, and what some other people obviously do understand. Okay, about the, the 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 properties of the mix when it comes out, what it needs to really feel like, mm-hmm. and how you how you get there every day. 
Yeah, that's the part about bread baking is this, the the scalability of making that perfect loaf. Because when you're selling 150 loaves a day, like that's very challenging. If anyone's baked bread at home, consistency yeah. is the the biggest issue, right? Yeah. I don't know. I I, I I mean, I bake bread at home every day, almost every day, every summer for the last 25 years, almost every in, in when I'm in my house, uh, and I can tell you that is that is a frustration that there you will see on seven days seven very different yep. products there you will uh, and i'm suspicious of every ever any anyone who comes out with the same product or the same mm-hmm. loaf uh, there might be some engineering in there that makes uh, there's away something from quality. right it's less good than i really <laughs> than i it's less good than i would accept yeah uh, let's talk about your house in Provence. You have an extensive wine collection there. Is that still about twenty thousand bottles? Is that... No, that's here. That's here in the city. You brought I, it back. I, okay. No, no, no. It's, it was never. I have a. I have a cove yeah. uh, that's dug into the uh, into the mountain, the, the hillside. Uh, no, but I, I, I've only really focused on basically the wines of the area. Uh, and I don't have twenty thousand bottles. I have a couple of thousand bottles couple thousand there bottles. of, of uh, you know. Uh, but but and, and I found for I found that that wines outside the area don't taste as good there. It's like I we had a, used to have a house up in Nantucket, and I found that something about the salt air made Burgundy's taste kind of irony, mm. and that that wasn't the right. Uh, so drinking in country is you know there's a re- you. Th- there's a reason for it. Sure. I mean, not that you can't drink uh, champagne anywhere in the, in, you know, in 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 Tokyo, but uh, um, you drink some great yeah. champagne. In but Tokyo. anyway, so the the the, the I, so no, I we have about maybe thirty thousand bottles here uh, of mostly Burgundies because that's my passion. Sure. But we have a lot of Italian wines, and uh, and my philosophy uh, about that is most of these, we, I I collect. Wines from people whose wines need time. They need time. They have to rest. They have to mature. And so, as I've been buying, and I started this around the year two thousand, uh, we just lay them away until we think they're ready. We think that they're that they're going to show what the what, what the person who, along with God, uh, put it together. Would think that this would be re- just like the loaf of bread. This, this, that this is really good, and uh, so my list has lots of old wines on the older wines on them, and it's for people who enjoy that, mm-hmm. and, and that's part of every, that's goes to who 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 am I who am I in business for? I'm in business for me. Mm-hmm. Okay, your name's on the door. Yeah, I'm in. I'm only trying to satisfy myself. You have, uh, you. Have- Great taste, impeccable well, taste. Well, and my feel, my my philosophy from the very first day was, if I can satisfy myself, then there there will be, there should be enough people for me to earn a living, uh, who will come along, who will come along for the ride. And so Oliver, you Oliver Zabar, you've joined us to to talk about uh, about your new restaurant. But I wanted to first hear about your earliest memories yourself uh, in the stores. Yeah. Um, I mean, similar to the way Eli described his earliest memories, I remember waking up on the weekends with my twin brother, Sasha, and we'd all put the same uniform on and go to work with my dad, and we looked like three brothers, almost. Um, But we would 
follow him around and go to each department and, like you said, sample things and try different cheeses and meats and sometimes then run around and run through the walk-ins and the produce departments. And it was it was like a, a jungle gym of food. You were given samples a lot as well, like, like Eli had just Always, yeah. We were always eating things, always tasting things, which I think opened up our palates from a very young age. Yeah. Which department early on did you, were you most draw, drawn to? I remember spending a lot of time in the cheese department with my brother, you know, sitting on the carts and sitting on the the huge wheels of Parmesan cheese at the time looked like mountains to us, but opening them up and watching them cut the cheese with the wires and shaving off pieces and I always liked like trimming them up and making them look nice. But that was like that department seemed like it had the most going on for us. So did you feel from an early age that you wanted this is the business for you? Sounds like you were working there. How old were you when you were there? Uh, I mean, since day one we were there. And then as a kid, probably five, six, we were there on the holidays, you know, moving shopping carts, rearranging shelves, putting things back, helping customers. Um, even at that age, people seemed to think that they'd ask us, oh, do you know where this is? Seemed to know that we were, <laughs> it was in we worked blood. there, yeah. So did you feel like this was your this is your calling? Yeah, I mean... I know. I feel like I never really did anything else, and I saw what my dad was doing. And really, I mean, in the summers we would go to France, and we'd spend all summer baking and making pizzas. And the, I loved doing the bread. And me and my brother had our own little baking business, and we'd sell bread to the Americans in the village who were there. But uh, we'd we'd sit with him in the morning and make the dough, and then we'd bake it in the afternoon. And we'd always get into these fights because I wanted to make it perfect. And I'd turn them slowly and feed the fire. And he would rush me to take them out. But I was, I really want to have the perfect loaf. And, you know, they always look like a, a crazy shape. But then we'd open them up and we'd see which ones are different. And they're totally different. All, yeah. all different. All different. That's a, that's a cool memory. But then uh, you, 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 you establish yourself in New York and, and now you're a full partner with your, your father. Is that what you'd say? Yeah. We, I mean, we, we did it together and it's a project that we've been talking about for a long time. And I, I first came and really started working with him when we did Night Shift on the Upper East Side, which is our beer, wine, cocktail bar and kind of was a, a big welcome to the neighborhood and a place that we grew up, I grew up and it was great to have something with there. And then the idea was always for me to go downtown. It's where I wanted to be. So we we kind of made it downtown together. Yeah. And Eli, tell me, what did Oliver teach you? Like he's clearly a different generation and uh, which is amazing for you as a business owner to have that kind of insight. But what was he telling you about about well, the food world? Okay. Well, I'll tell you what he what he what he told me and continues to tell me, and which I ac- which I accept is I don't know anything about the I don't know anything about the young generation. I don't know about I don't know about uh, I don't know about uh, people that are much younger than I am, and 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 uh, and he does, and uh, um, uh, and. I, I don't know about uh, cocktails. I don't drink them. I don't know about staying up late at night. <laughs> I don't do it. Uh, and I don't know what, what, what the young generation wants or thinks. Uh, and uh, so that's him. What has he taught you? Give us one example of something that you're like, wow, I did not know that. <sighs> 
Well, here's a very mundane example, okay? But he, he developed the idea of night shift, okay? That's the bar he referred to on 79th Street, okay? He, and uh, I, I knew that economically, financially, we needed to, to do something. You, you can't just be open until 5 or 6 o'clock, okay? That you need, that you're paying rent all the time, that you need to do something. And he developed this, the name, night shift. Um, so, okay, so the first time I really... Went in there and it's really busy because it's great. It's got ten beers from made in New York City. Most of a lot of them are made in garages. I mean, the whole thing is very cool. Food is delicious. So, so the place was packed, and there was there were three of them. There there there, there were two bartenders and somebody on the floor. And 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 there must be fifty seats or sixty wow. seats. I'm thinking to myself, they're not. You need you need more staff than this. These people aren't getting waited on. Uh, this is, and and, and I, I was appalled by the situation, really, only to discover that's exactly what what everybody wanted. They wanted to be left alone, approached when at, when when at some point their drinks would come at some point, the, uh, their food would come irregularly and at some point, but. But there was a kind of master plan, and he understood that. He understood that there, that, that was the number of people, that was number of oh, employees yeah. needed, the two bartenders and the one person on the floor. And, and everything worked. And it worked. And everything works just brilliantly and beautifully. Now, Oliver, did you work in the industry? Did you leave the company did you, uh, and work any other places to learn the ropes? Or is this something you just acquired? Over yeah, the- no, I... Uh... I spent some time working for other people for a while before I came back to Eli. You know, I spent a, a summer in film, which I quickly realized was not for me. Um, and then I had some really great people in the street take me under their wing. Uh, Michael Stillman, uh, Steven Greenberg, um, all these people kind of guided me and gave me advice along the way and told me, gave me direction in places when I was finding myself thinking I want to do one thing. They said, you know, you got to go this way. So there was a lot of great people I Throughout the a guy named Frank McHugh really inspired me to come back and go to the hospitality school at NYU and kind of get more into the family business. But yeah, I mean, I spent some time, but I always knew I want to be in food. I never thought, oh, I want to be a lawyer. I want to be in banking. Um, I mean, like my dad, like I like I'm a very visual learner. I enjoy working my hands. I like seeing what I've made at the end of the day. And we, like, in many ways, we were, I was self-taught in the sense that I would watch him do something, I'd watch my brother or my mother do something, and I would then go and do it. You know, I spent six months on the line in the kitchen at night shift, having never cooked a line before, but I had seen the dish, I'd made the dishes myself, I'd put them together, I'd seen them plated, I knew I could get in there and kind of figure it out, and when we needed help, I jumped in. That's and, right. And that's, now, just, this is a principle of mine. I mean, he, he, he figured it out. a few things he, from his dad. He, fi- <laughs> he figured it out himself. But unless, uh, uh, unless you do a job yourself, unless you actually do the job yourself, you can't really know it, okay? And, uh, and it, it's the... If you haven't swept the floor, even yourself, you really don't know how. You really don't know how the right way to do it is, and and uh, um, and that's kind of a, a prin- that's a principle of mine. Uh, Absolutely yeah. agree. We we I follow that as as an editor in chief here at Taste. We you have to really do everything and absorb everything and learn from your surroundings, but also just do everything. Yeah, you have to do it yourself once or more than once until you get it. Yep. And then, then then, you really know the job. 
Yep. So this leads to Devon, which is uh, named after Mother, uh, the restaurant in Lower East Side. So what is, what, what is what is happening here? I mean, you're you're downtown now. What what's this restaurant like? Yeah. So Devon is named after my mother, who is alive and well. It's just a good homage to her. But uh, we're doing just really. It's a, I'd like to believe it's a really great neighborhood spot. We're doing great cocktails, uh, great food. Sean Saunders is leading our cocktail and beverage program, which every day is evolving. We're kind of riffing on a lot of punches and bringing those back. But I always said I wanted to do a place that I live a few blocks away that I could come every single day, have dinner, have a drink, have meet a friend, bring a date, do whatever. But it's always good. It's always solid. And it's always there. Yeah. What's like a dish that really like has kind of crystallizes like a signature or something interesting that you're doing? We're doing this monkfish katsu sandwich with a curried slaw on a really great soft white bread that our bakery makes. And it's just... It blows your mind. It's so delicious. Yeah. What's the condiment? Is it like a mayonnaise or we do a sauce? kind of a, a shallot, kind of onion jam with a curried slaw, right. and it's just everything comes together with a little lime juice on top. And then now the bakery is going to be next door. What's yeah. What's that going to be all about? Sometimes I'm actually more excited for the bakery than yeah. for the bar, but it's always an idea we had that we wanted to do a bake bakery during the day that turned into a bar at night. This very European feeling. And we want the bakery to basically feed the restaurant and the neighborhoods. We're going to do pizzas and breads and tarts and pastries and and salads during the day and kind of grab-and-go things. But everything over there will move, hopefully, into the restaurant at night. So all our bread will be coming from next door. We're going to do brunch, which a lot of our pastries will be there. And kind of just be making things that we find interesting and do a lot of experimenting yeah. for sure. And Eli, is it fair to say that you'll be hanging out downtown with the with the kids, Lori's side? <laughs> yeah, he, he loves that, it down there. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do actually. It's not. It's actually from the Upper East Side where I live uh, uh, to to uh, um, where he is on Broom Street is really easy to get to through the by the East River Drive, and, and you know it's fantastic. And and one of my like fresh hot bread, fresh pastries that are still warm. There's not and and toast. Uh, there's not when there's nothing more delicious than something that's really hot and fresh and warm. And and that's why he convinced me that the neighborhood will embrace it. Oh, okay? sure. That they'll stop in in the morning, they'll stop in in the afternoon, they'll stop in for for it'll be and we've purposely buying ovens and I've done this before that are smaller than we really need so that it forces us to make something three times a day as opposed to once a day. Uh, uh, so the idea is is so that's the idea. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Anyway, so uh, Eli Oliver Zabar, mm. thank you for joining the Taste Podcast. Thank you. Hey, Matt, thanks for having us. What a pleasure. Here's Deb Perlman answering a question from a reader. Deb, we have a question. If you could take a cooking class to learn how to make anything in the world, what would it be? I want to learn how to make sourdough. I mean, I know there's classes all over the place, but they're all like, hey, do you have a whole weekend to spend with us three hours away? I'm like, yeah, no, that's just definitely not my my lifestyle right now. But um, I would really love to take one. And I know that there's like 17-page articles in every 
you know, cookbook and like food magazine, but I find it really intimidating. I need somebody who knows what they're doing to show it to me because I am like terrified of having something else to keep alive. I have two children and that is a lot for me. So let's talk about the starter. <laughs> I mean, you, this would be like you're a child of yours, right? You, you have to feed it. Yeah. You have to like make plans for it when you go on vacation is what I understand. You have to, you have to kennel it. Yeah. <laughs> you have to like, you know, apologize to it if you've neglected it. Like I'm really, I'm really overwhelmed by this. Again, RIP my um, inbox after I say this I in your think- podcast <laughs> what, why do you like sourdough so much i mean what is it the flavor is it just the craggly crust of it what what is it i think it tastes so much better there's such a more in-depth flavor like you know quick rise bread just does not have the same deep stretchiness and one of the things that always surprises me about good sourdough is it doesn't go stale as fast like we think of bread like oh i bought it yesterday it's like rock hard tomorrow but it's not exactly like that with good sourdough it really still has some taste and like stretchiness to it and i have a question to ask. <laughs> would you ever use a bread machine i'm not opposed to it but i don't find that it makes like my life much easier but i'm not really like scared by making regular bread but most recipes that work in a loaf pan you can work in a bread machine i also have memories like because my parents had one of um just very puffy over risen bread that still smelled amazing and we absolutely still ate it but i feel like i can do better you in a can loaf do pan. better in your own method well, thank you so much The Taste Podcast is hosted by Matt Rodbard and me, Anna Hiesel. The show is produced by Gabrielle Lewis, studio recordings by Pat Stango, theme music by Steve Rydell. Interviews are recorded live at Books Are Magic in Cobble Hill, Brooklyn, and at Penguin Random House Studios in Manhattan. Visit Taste online at tastecooking.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.